The doctor honestly sees you like two times before you go in for surgery and afterwards. And then everything else is done by administrative staff, nurses, etc. The same is true for a business owner. Like you should be the surgeon in the room. You shouldn't be trying to run the whole hospital. Welcome to Amplify. We are here to help you own your truth, use your voice and stand out as the most unapologetically aligned, abundant and authentic version of you so that you can make a big impact in the world doing what sets your soul on fire. Because you and I, we are meant to stand the F out. I'm your host, Lauren Salon, and I'm a public relations and marketing expert, entrepreneur, speaker, former on-air entertainment host, and past professional fitness competitor and health coach. And several times per week, I'll be bringing you epic guest conversations and solo episodes along with the tools, tricks, and tips that you need in order to step into your power, own your purpose, and stand out in the world as the most vibrant version of you. Because I believe that the more you you are in the world, the more successful and fulfilled you will be. So what do you say? Are you ready? Let's get amplified because blending in is bullshit. What's up everyone. And welcome back to another episode of Amplify. Today, I sit down and talk to my friend, Lauren Goldstein. Lauren is the founder and CEO of the award-winning and globally recognized boutique business consulting firm, Golden Key Partnership. Her clients lovingly call her the biz doctor because her superpower is helping highly specialized seven-figure service-based entrepreneurs uncover what is keeping them stuck in the trenches of their business. As a trusted advisor to some of the fastest growing businesses and Fortune 500 companies like Apple, Nike, and AT&T for more than 12 years, Lauren's greatest asset is helping business owners successfully transition through the gap of business operator to true business owner, from chief everything officer to powerful and effective CEO and leader. Lauren is also very passionate about the mental health of entrepreneurs, and it's her goal to create a space for her clients to have more fun, play, and do good in the community while helping them have a business that can sustainably grow without feeling like it is all on them, so that when they decide to take that much-deserved vacation, their business runs without them having to worry. All right, what's up, everybody? I am super, super excited for our guest today, my dear friend, Lauren. Lauren, thank you for joining us. I know this is gonna be like, just really like good business stuff. We haven't been doing a ton of business stuff on the show this season, but I know that so much of what we're gonna talk about is gonna resonate with so many people and it's just gonna be fun. So thank you for coming on today. Thank you. I'm so excited to be on the show and just jam about all things business and team. Talk absolutely, (laughs) absolutely. All right. First things first. Rapid fire. What are you grateful for right now? Oh, great question. I'm really grateful for as corny as it sounds, my friends and my family right now. I was recently reminded how precious life is and the time is now. So. I've been really regrounding into my friends like you and the support system that I have and and how we're all in this crazy journey together. Yeah. I agree with that. And like this year, I am focusing so much on the little things and the simple things and it feels so good. Like mm-hmm. 
someone yesterday asked me like, what do I like doing in my, for fun or free time and had plenty of things to share. But I was like, I also like love like training my dog. Like that's so simple and so basic. I'm like, yeah. And like having a good intentional conversation with a friend of mine or somebody care about, like, I love that. It's so beautiful. So yeah. 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 I've just like, I've sent started sending texts like when I think of somebody because you know how often you think of somebody but you don't actually tell them that you're thinking of them yes so now I've been like hey you just popped in my mind wanted to say hi miss you love you whatever yes and like actually building that connection yeah and we know which were you just reminded me to have us chat about about this but like that's like our intuition like speaking up in some way or that maybe that person thought about me and that's why they popped into my head so yeah I hear you What is a guilty pleasure of yours? Oh, what is a guilty pleasure of mine? Oh, that's so interesting. I would (laughs) say a guilty pleasure of mine is somewhere between like, I love hot chocolates and just like cozying up with a book and hot chocolate. And then I also Mm. have been getting really into Shall we call them smutty novels? It's like a vacation with for my brain. Oh, like I know. Romance yeah. novel, like sexy novels. Yeah, like that. I, I love it. I mean, what I do day to day is so logical and brainy oh and gosh. it's operations yes. and it's team. And like, these are just like fun things that I get to yes. get lost in and I don't have to do any thinking. I could just I love it. this book. <laughs> I love it. Well, but yeah, like if you're so in your like masculine logical brain, like why not? Like, yeah, why activate not? that feminine a little bit. Have some fun with it. As you're saying that, I'm like, oh, I have a few like sexy books that I get to start reading. And when you're saying that too, like I'm such an audiobook person that I'm like, I'm not really actively working through like a physical book right now. And that like, I like, TV habit. And I feel like sometimes it can be so easy as people in the professional and who are into professional and personal development, like we are, and like the audience is to be like, Oh, you shouldn't spend time watching TV. Like it should be a podcast, right? Like all Mm -hmm. your time needs to be Mm -hmm. optimized. But also what if my soul really enjoys giggling to some Seinfeld episodes, right? Yeah, Can't that also be good for my soul and my growth and productivity. Like having just some like enjoying someone else's genius in a yes. way, like <laughs> right? One hundred percent. And I mean, I guess I could say another guilty pleasure of mine is I use Saturdays as like the perfect day to do a digital detox, and so I like turn off all my technology. I, I sleep in. I get that physical book. I know it's weird. I love doing laundry and cleaning. So I do that. That's like my happy place. Oh my gosh. And I recharge my introvert battery. And when I started doing this practice, my business doubled because I was able to actually give more and consciously take some time out because it's so easy as a business owner to let, and especially working from home, like let your business bleed into all hours of the yes. day. All right. Next one is a random fact that most people would not know about you. Well, my degree is in cognitive neuroscience, which is a very, I didn't even know that. (laughs) Yeah. That's, I guess, part of my story about how I became the biz doctor is I was in the medical field before. And I knew that, but I didn't know cognitive neuroscience was the focus. That was the thing. So psychology, biology, chemistry, all the things. And I use it actually a lot in, I use the neuroscience aspect of it a lot with my clients because 
you know, I can give you the best tools to optimize your team and your operations and leadership and all that. But if you don't have, you know, the what's going on between your ears, right, then then it's going to be an uphill battle. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Okay. So I was already really excited to talk about like the mental health stuff and like the limiting beliefs and the programming, because you know, right. Like you do so much in the, like, here's what you need to do. Like that's so much of your expertise with CEOs, but like, we all know, like it's so much more than just the doing it's like, they also have to change how they think. So even more excited to talk about that. Okay. If you weren't doing what you do now, which may we have the answer to this, which obviously like you are doing your dream biz, dream life, all of that. It's all stuff you've created. If you weren't doing this, what kind of job or career, like, would you pursue whether it's like you're qualified for it or not? Like something that you're like, Oh, that would be so cool to go after or to try that. Hmm. I'm torn between being one of those people that gets paid to go travel and stay at hotels and eat at restaurants. Like I think mm-hmm. that would be a really great job. So I left Western medicine for many reasons. And I've really been fascinated with preventative medicine and Eastern medicine and how the brain body connection and all of that. And so I would say that I'd probably go back into the medical field, but not the Western medical field, but the holistic journey of prevention rather than treatment. Okay. I like mm-hmm. that. What did you want to be when you were little? A doctor. Okay. Yeah. Was- I used to line up all my teddy bears and stuffed animals and they would be my patients and we had horses and dogs. And so if anyone got hurt or we were giving shots or dry blood, I would be the first in line. All right. See, when I was little, I not that little. I maybe was in like junior high or something. We did 4-H growing up. Mm. and like had all the animals and everything like that. And this one time we had pigs and I thought I wanted to be a doctor because for a little while, just a little while, but mainly because like they made good money. I was like a kid, like thinking that, like, (laughs) are you serious? Yep. And we had pigs and one of our pigs needed a shot and I couldn't give the pig a shot. I I think we got to give up on this medical (laughs) direction. (laughs) That's okay. (laughs) Yeah. Any weird talents or special skills? Weird talents or special skills. I wish I could say yes, but I can't wiggle my ears or touch my tongue to my nose. I mean, I feel like I'm clear cognizant. Like I just know that I know, which is very helpful in my work with my clients, but I wouldn't say I have any extraordinary skills like that. No, but I like it. That's a good one though. Okay. Okay. Last time that you cried. Yesterday. Same. Yeah. <laughs> Last time you laughed so hard, you almost peed your pants. This weekend when I learned how to play pickleball and was playing with my friends in Colorado who were a Bloody Mary and a beer deep and we were making up our own rules and it was windy as all get out. And so it was hysterical. Yeah, it was so much fun. (laughs) What's your favorite meal? My favorite meal. I don't know if I have a specific food, but I have a specific Like I love being in like the mountains in a cabin and like eating while it's snowing. Like that's my favorite meal, whatever I'm eating. It's like that. Like cozy vibes, food. Oh, I like that. Mm -hmm. Where's the next place you want to travel to? The next place that I want to travel to is, well, it's more of a long-term plan, but I want to spend the month of December going all around Europe to different Christmas markets and then end in Paris or Christmas slash my birthday and New Year's. That sounds so nice. 
So there's quite a cozy theme going on. Mm -hmm. Yes. All right. I love that idea. I was like, (laughs) we don't want to come. I'll come. Yeah, let's go. Let's go. (laughs) Okay. So that is all of our rapid fire. So we're going to shift to some of the, you know, juicier, like more, not intense. That's not the right word, but you know, we're going to shift now. So I love it. As a fractional COO, business consultant, you have so much experience in that kind of, not kind of, but in that COO type role, whether that is stepping into a business and telling them, right? Showing them what they should restructure, change, all of that, whether from like structure type stuff, but operations to like team, all of that, or you step in and you act as COO for Mm -hmm. companies. So what would you say is like juicy superpower with the work that you do? So my superpower is coming into a business and really finding and diagnosing that root thing in the teams and the operations that's preventing the business owner from getting out from under the business. So Mm -hmm. getting out of like what I call the management minutia of being in the business, in the trenches, and finally being able to elevate into a bigger visionary leadership role working on the business. Because like a lot of times when I come in, like they don't understand what they actually get to do to make that transition or they've tried it before and it hasn't worked. Or a lot of times they just don't have the right team. So even though they have a team, they're like so much still falls on me or they're not doing what I need them to do to get it running like a boiled machine. Mm -hmm. So I come in and I'm like, well, these are the places that are leaking team and time and revenue. And here's the team you need for you. Because you can have a lot of different teams that look the same from the outside, but they're actually very different. And so one of the things that I'm very particular about is building the right team for the business owner that I'm working with. Because every business owner has, we use a tool called Wealth Dynamics and Team Dynamics. And there's eight different entrepreneurial profiles. And if you're trying to build a business, like a profile that you're not, and the team around you that's not suited for that entrepreneur, it's going to be a grind. It's going to be hard. You're going to burn them out. You're going to burn yourself out. And so we look at how we can simplify and make everybody be in their unique abilities. Okay. Yeah. And like, I was just going to say like your own thing, but like you are called the biz doctor, right? That's also the name of your podcast which Mm -hmm. is literally like going in there, like being able to look at, so your clients come to you, people come to you with X, Y, Z are my issues. I need some help. I don't know what to do. Right. And you're able to look at it as like with that kind of like surgical precision to tell them exactly what they should be doing to alleviate those pains, illnesses, all of that. And so what do you see as, I know you work with a lot of CEOs and founders who end up being the bottlenecks Mm -hmm. in their business. Are there any trends with that particularly? Like when the CEO or the like head person in charge is the main bottleneck, like what usually is going on? Like whether that's like, oh, typically they're working with these limiting beliefs, like most of Mm -hmm. my clients, or typically this is what's happening. Like what are those kind of like, trends with CEOs getting in their own way and blocking shit. Yeah. Oh, there's so much to unpack there. Well, there's a couple, I would say three, four, maybe five things. But the first is a lot of business owners are not taught how to hire strategically and proactively. 
And so what they end up doing is hiring a lot of accidental mini-me's or worker bees. So they either hire themselves because they know how to lead themselves, but then you have the blind leading the blind situation, (laughs) or you have people that you've hired because you want them to take tasks off your plate, but you didn't actually hire a player, you hired a worker bee. And so that's something I talk a lot about. Players come with a plan, they're experts, you know, they need to know where they're going, but then they actually work backwards and can create time for you. Like they actually produce revenue and time and all that. Whereas a worker bee, they're not necessarily as critically thinking. They're not as big picture. They're much more in the trenches. And so you end up having to do two people's jobs, your job, and then their job to tell them what to do. And so a lot of times it's a bottleneck situation because you just don't have the right team. And even if you weren't the bottleneck, they wouldn't be able to operate outside of you. So that's one. The other is... Because I would say with that, I would think that on the one, like, right? Because typically a CEO, because like, I'm like, ooh, this is so good already. Because typically (laughs) you're like, the CEO, the leader Mm -hmm. is, oh, I want to remove myself more. So that means I need to replace myself. So that means I need to find someone who's exactly like me. You know, yes, that like logically makes so much sense, right? And I imagine that having a you need worker bees too, Mm -hmm. right? Like, you need people who are just like, I am so happy to just take direction and I take direction well and I execute what you want me to do on time, ask questions as neat, like, so that like really like reliable, steady, Mm -hmm. consistent worker bee, but also knowing that you're gonna need to train that person and give that person things to do, right? Like with my VA, for example, it's like, there have been plenty of times where I'm like, oh shit, I want to give her more work to do, but like, I don't know what to do, you know? And Mm -hmm. that's not really her role to tell me, like, I can ask her like, hey, what sort of things do you do for other people that you're not doing for me that I may not be thinking about, right? Yeah. But yeah, knowing what the role is and then what your role needs to be to make that person effective. Okay, more. (laughs) Yeah, second thing. There's so much more I could unpack around that, but for sure. I mean, saying that you want to replace yourself is more true if you want to truly exit the business, but I think it's become a catch-all for like, I just don't want to do the shit I don't want to do. Yeah. And so it's about really understanding what your unique abilities are, what you enjoy in the business and knowing what your strengths are versus your weaknesses and hiring for your weaknesses. Right. So hire the experts that have the strengths that- Exactly. Yeah, probably more like, oh, not replace myself. Which hats do I want to take off? Exactly. Yeah. And then which do I want to keep on? Okay, Mm -hmm. great. The ones I want to take off, find someone who wants to wear it. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) And then second one is, well, actually, before I talk about that one, really quick about players versus worker bees. You absolutely need worker bees. My caveat here is if you have a lean team, and I'm talking like less than 10 people, You probably should not have any worker bees unless the worker bees are being managed by players. Because if you're trying to manage worker bees as the business owner, it's going to suck so much of your time that you won't be able to be in that working on your business place as much as necessary when you're growing and scaling a business. Interesting. Yes. So bottleneck number two is control. And this one is definitely a mindset thing where... There's a couple of things that come into play that I hear a lot. Well, they can't do it as well as I can, or I don't know if I trust them, or I don't know what I need, or just give it back to me. Like I have a client who 
I'm fractional COO for them. And I said to them a couple of weeks ago, I said, you guys have created a culture of enabling. Like the reason why the team isn't critically thinking is because you get frustrated trying to explain it to them and then you just do it. So they know that if they don't do it and then they come to you with a problem and then don't do it, that you're just going to do it. And then you're mad that they don't do it. Yeah. Like it's just this vicious cycle. I had that sort of thing with my VA. So my VA has been with me for like three years and now like has, she started her own VA company. Like all the, it's amazing. I love amazing. it. I'm like, hell yes. So she has people in her team who are helping as well in my business. And there was like one mistake happened with one thing that yeah. someone on the team was doing and I pointed it out. Well, actually it was two mistakes on one thing. And, <laughs> but like went to my email list. I was like, hey, come on, you know? Yeah. And like, hey, this is a big deal. Like, please make sure like, you know, I know you know this, but like clearly she did not know this or did not double check it, right? Yeah. And so my VA was like, okay, like moving forward, I won't have her do any of that. I'll do this still, like bring it back on my plate. I'm like, no, that's not, she can do it. I'm just saying communicate to her. It's fine. I was like, yeah. you don't need that back to your plate. Give it, keep it with her. But she just has to do it right next time, <laughs> right? Yes, 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 yes. Yeah. Oh gosh. Everybody hates mistakes, but we're all humans. So there's ways that you can do a post-mortem of why did this happen or what happened? Why did this happen? How can we make sure it doesn't happen again? Which is very, very helpful. And to the control point, nobody's going to love your business like you do. Like it's just a fact of life, but something that will help you give up control is if you try and think of yourself, you know, you take the chief everything officer hat and you put it to the side and realize that your job as a leader is to develop leaders. So help them increase their confidence and help them increase their skills. And that to create the team that you need, sometimes you have to slow down. Sometimes mm. you have to take the time. No, not sometimes, all the time. You have to take the time to explain to them like where you're going, the vision, your definition of done. That's my favorite thing is if you're delegating, make sure that it's clear about what the definition of done is. And then hire people that are experts in those things and trust that they're gonna get it done in a way that is not gonna be how you would have done it. But chances are it'll be even better. And if it's not in your case, have a conversation about it. Mm -hmm. But if you're like white knuckling it, like you're not going to attract players and you're going to get stuck in that like whack-a-mole putting fires out every day, yeah, which is not supportive. And then the other bottleneck that I see, which I think I, in one of my podcast episodes, I called it like psychic Paul is the business owner who thinks everybody can read their minds. And so they don't actually communicate very well. And they're like, why can't you just get this done? Or why is everybody not getting it? And they're just like, you should know this. And the fact is that you have the curse of knowledge as a business owner. You've been in your business, you have the institutional knowledge, but if you're not communicating that to your team and they need that knowledge, then that's on you. And I think a lot of people tend to fire people because they think they can't do it when in reality, we didn't set them up for success. Mm -hmm. And then the fourth bottleneck is really the person that is so burned out that they're basically like they put their brain and their business on autopilot or like airplane mode rather, not autopilot. And there's generally one person in the team that's like, holding everything together, but by a very thin thread. 
And like the business owner is just like, I can't do it anymore. And that's also a bottleneck because you're just so removed. So you have it on both ends where everything has to route through you because you can't give up control or you're so disconnected that you don't even know what's going on and there's no real direction. Okay. So with the control thing, like obviously there are doing things that get to shift, but how do you coach your clients like on the like mindset shifts that need to take place on that? Because it's not, your role isn't a coach, but Mm -hmm. at the same time, like in order for them to do the things that you're telling them, like you're coaching in that type of role, right? Like in your consulting, you have to get them to make the internal shifts as well. Otherwise what they're doing is they're only going to do it for a little while, right? Yeah. So the first thing that I have to find out is if they are a carrot or a stick person. So what I mean is carrot people Mm -hmm. are motivated by vision and stick people are motivated by pain. So I have I'm to figure out person trying to become a vision person, my character person. Same, same. I hate it. I hate it. <laughs> I, I make so much happen when I'm in pain. <laughs> oh, yes. Yes, yes, yes. I'm very much the same. So like, let's say I have a client who's a stick person. Then my favorite stick exercise to shift mindset is I make them go through an exercise. Well, I don't make them like it's voluntary, <laughs> but <laughs> we hey, go through it. If they're a stick person, they like the force, right? right. They yeah. Like, you have yes. to do this. You have to do this. And so we go through this exercise where we talk about how much they actually want to earn as take-home pay. And then we actually do the math of how much their hourly rate is doing things like oh, writing that email. <laughs> yeah, dumb yeah. shit. <laughs> okay. And then we do the reverse and we say, okay, when you're in your zone of genius, And like, let's just say it's an entrepreneur that's really great at sales and can close like an $11,000 contract without thinking about it. Then I'm like, okay, so you're giving up $11,000 for $25 an hour thing, right? Like your hourly rate right now, because you're doing all these things is $25 an hour. So you can either have the $11,000 or you can keep doing this thing that you actually hate and you don't like doing that's pulling away from this revenue. So we look at, Like, how much is this costing you? We also talk a lot about like, how much is a bad hire going to cost you? And the statistics are are crazy, but something like 31%, I think it's 31% of total first year earnings are lost to a bad hire. But that's like not even their earnings. That's like your time, the team's time, like all the things. Anyway, I digress. So if they're stick, then we go that way. If they're carrot, then we talk about like what their vision is and what they're missing out on in that vision because they're stuck in stuff that isn't in alignment. And then I love analogies. And so I'll, you know, say something like, okay, like, let's say you need to get your appendix out. Are you going to do it yourself? Are you going to be like, Hey, I just met you at the coffee shop. Like, let's do this thing. Or are you going to be like, I need to find a surgeon that can actually do this. And then they're like, okay, I get it. Yeah. Because it shouldn't just be whether you can do it. It's definitely not about if you can do it. It's, yeah. should you be doing it? Like, is this a good investment of your time? Yeah. Yeah. I love that analogy. Would yeah. you do your own, take out your own appendix? No. Well, I can't do that. I'm not qualified. Okay. But you're way overqualified for all this stuff, right? Yeah. Yep. Is the doctor checking in the patient? No. Nope. Okay. Ooh, I like this. Yeah. The doctor, like, honestly, sees you like two times 
before you go in for surgery and afterwards. And then everything else is done by administrative staff, nurses, et cetera. The same is true for a business owner. Like you should be the surgeon in the room. You shouldn't be trying to run the whole hospital. Yes. Oh my gosh. This is really helpful. I'm like, this is giving me breakthroughs as well. Right. Speaking of breakthroughs, what are some of the biggest like non, because of course you're bringing break very tangible breakthroughs for your clients because that's what you're hired to do. Like mm-hmm. you're hired to help people hire people, fire people, restructure, find hidden money, optimize their earnings, prop, like all that kind of stuff. Like you're hired for very tangible breakthroughs. What mm-hmm. are some of the like non-business breakthroughs that typically come from how you work with clients? Great question. So I heard actually on a client wrap-up call this week, one of the biggest things that he said is he's like, listen, I don't lack in confidence, but what you gave me was competence. So now I feel like I'm competently running my business. Like I'm not just reactively throwing spaghetti at the wall, but we have a plan. And now the team's actually working better together because we're all moving in the same direction and communicated. And it was really funny. He's like, I even figured out how to say no to shit. Like, this is so weird and so awesome where somebody brought me something to review and I was, and it happens to be his brother. So I feel like it might've been a slightly different communication if it wasn't, but he's like, listen, I don't want to be an asshole, but this is not ready for me to review. Like, if you need me to coach you through this, I'm happy to do that. But if you just want me to review this, this isn't ready. So you need to go break, redo it. And he's like, that in of itself like the the frustration and the time that that saved me because I didn't get sucked into this rabbit hole. He's like amazing. <laughs> and so I think the most non-tangible things are the competence, the confidence, the bringing fun back to your business, breathing a sigh of relief. Like this client actually happened to go on a week-long vacation and the business had the best week it's ever had. And he wasn't even in the office. And he said, nobody called me. Like they didn't call, like they've never not called me. (laughs) And so he got to actually enjoy being with his kids and his wife. Hold on. I'll meet you in a second because I got to put out this fire. So it's a lot more about like that, like, Ooh, okay. I can do this. There's light at the end of the tunnel. It doesn't have to be hard. It can be fun. It can be simple and we can just make it awesome. And I love that, like best week. And I wasn't even there and nobody talked to me. Wasn't even there. Yeah. (laughs) I love that. What are some of the biggest problems that you see? Well, we know with the bottlenecking stuff that you talked about, but biggest problems you see people making when they're like, the businesses you work with are typically doing multi-million dollars. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So like, I guess biggest mistakes or problems people make when in their earlier stages, like maybe before they hit their first million, or maybe they're doing just like 1 million, which just like, it's all relative. Right. Mm -hmm. But like the biggest mistakes that then like lead to like the big problems down the road. Yeah. I think there are two sides to the same coin. So I'm a pretty outspoken person about you have to know when is the right time to add structure and operations and operational coin here is I see businesses add too much structure and too much stuff when they don't have enough flow in their business. They don't have enough revenue. So they're adding things that they think they need, but haven't actually been tested. 
And that's actually one of the reasons why I, I really am not a proponent for small businesses adopting EOS until they have leaders of leaders and have like a big flow throughout the business. What is EOS? EOS is a tool that the creators of the book Traction created. It's the Entrepreneur Operating System. Gotcha. Okay. And I've seen it take down more small businesses than help because they were too little and they got too much structure. So then they got actually snuffed and then they got like really stuck. So almost like, oh, well, we should build out a whole org chart and have all these department, all these things and structure and and systems to run, which makes sense because you want to prepare to be big and have those things in place in the beginning. But that also then is going to create like probably not just like multiple people in different roles instead of like one person that can help do many things. And yeah. Okay. Makes sense. Yeah, Yeah. So like on one hand, you're building out too much that you don't need. So like in the zero to 1 million, the biggest focus you have is growth. Like bringing in more revenue, having more lifetime value, having more profitability and growing the team and growing the client. So that's like really a growth stage. And so you want to be proactive enough that you can start seeing where things are creating friction points. And that's where you can automate or systematize or outsource, et cetera. And then the, the, inverse of that is if you grow too fast and then all of a sudden you're drowning and you don't have the systems to support. So the first mistake to sum it up is not knowing when is the right time to actually start building these things out. Because like if you're making less than $500,000, you probably don't need a lot of different things. (laughs) You probably just need very simple, how can I save hours here? How can I make this efficient and automate? And then as you grow, like maybe add things. But the other caveat I have to that is as your business grows, it should get more simple, not more complicated. And so that's the Mm, other mistake I I see is people start overcomplicating things. Like my hiring made simple process is so simple and so effective because it's just basically four slash five steps versus having like 20 steps to go hire somebody. And so the mistake that you could be making when you're getting to that first million is adding stuff that you don't need, which then decreases your profitability and your cash flow. Yeah, because I've heard this from so like both things. It's like finding that sweet spot balance because I've had friends who are like, oh my gosh, I was doing it all myself. I didn't need to, right? And so they hire or build systems too late and like mm-hmm. carry way too much weight on their shoulders for too long. But then people who are like, oh, I hit 500K. so next year, now I'm going to hire a whole ads team and I'm going to hire this and a sales, like all these things. They like go way hard in the other direction. And they're like, oh, but my profitability was actually way better the year before. Yes. And so that's mistake number three is not proactively thinking about your business and your team. And so, you know, sometimes I see business owners hire an OBM, which I have many thoughts on OBMs, but Oh, well, I would love to hear them. I want the juicy stuff. <laughs> the juicy stuff. Okay, so we'll come back to OBMs right after. We'll come back to that. About to say. <laughs> and so like, they're not like so often when you're in that, I'm just going to call it a grind to a million. You're so focused on the revenue, which is a lagging metric. 
that you can't think about what's producing the revenue and actually see where the friction points are and who you need to hire. And so because of that, a lot of entrepreneurs get into this, what I call the how hell hole, where they're like, how am I going to hit a million? How am I going to hire people? How am I going to serve my customers? When in reality, the only questions that you should be asking is what do I want? Like, what are our goals? And by when? And then the who almost always shows up to tell you the how. And that's a huge mindset shift for most entrepreneurs because they're so used to doing it themselves and knowing how to do it. But when you're growing past a million, you can't rely on just what you know. You have to find those people that can bring new perspectives, new ways of doing things. And so just knowing that you have to proactively say like in a year, I want to have a business that looks like that. So what does that mean? will save you so much time and money. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Wait. So what about OBMs? So I love a good person working in the trenches and doing stuff. My qualm with OBMs is I'm a firm believer that a jack of all trades is a master of none. And they actually do more harm to your business than, than help. And the reason for that, I know I can see your face right now. Well, but interesting, like I don't have an OBM. I have my VA who I fucking love to death. I have someone who's a project manager in my PR agency, similarly love to death. But I've thought about, oh, just if there's one person that can just like organize all the things, right? That'd be so helpful. Okay, so tell me why that's not. Yeah, yeah. So that's probably number one mistake of like an early stage business is thinking I could just hire one person to do all the things. When in reality... First of all, you probably don't need a full-time person. Like that's another myth that I can bust. But number two, if you have an OBM that's doing, I'm using air quotes here, all the things, I can guarantee they're not doing all the things accurately, effectively, profitably, because we as humans, and this is why we use wealth and team dynamics, have certain talents and ways of that we're innately made that make us effective or ineffective in different things. Like I know that my skill set bridges the how and the what. So I can bring ideas to full circle. Like I'm a great finisher. I can also do high level strategy as well as perfect systems, improve things. It's no guess that, you know, I do what I do. Mm -hmm. But putting me in front of like a sales team or like making me be an agent for somebody or like even a project manager, that's not my happy place, right? And so if I'm trying to do all the things as an OBM, they're going to prioritize the things that they're naturally good at and deprioritize the things that they're not, which was what causes conflict and why people Mm. are like, you dropped the ball. Why didn't this get done? I said this was urgent. And like they knew it was urgent, but subconsciously they couldn't get themselves to do it because they knew it wasn't their skill set, like their perfect skill set. So they're deprioritizing things. So you would be much better served to hire two part-time people in the two areas that you really need support rather than somebody who's quote unquote going to do all the things. Yeah. Okay. And getting that laser kind of support and yeah. And just like getting really clear on someone's skills, which you've said already. Mm -hmm. So what Mm -hmm. is... Actually, I want to jump to something you said before we hit record is that you said your sentimentality about your team is hurting your business. So can you explain Mm -hmm. what you mean by that a little bit more to start? Yeah, totally. So 
this has been popping up with quite a few clients recently. And so what I mean by that is the team that got you to a million probably is not the team to get you past a million. There might be a few that have the skill set and the personality that can shift. But what I see and have seen in a lot of different situations is there are these few people on the team that you've had since the beginning. You love them. You're like, they helped us build this, like all the things, but deep down, and also because people have told you they're an anchor to the team, either they're not performing or they're, you know, just slowing everybody down. And by you not having the courage to release them, you're actually dragging your whole business down. You're causing resentment in the team because they see somebody not pulling their weight, still being around. And especially if they're in a leadership position, then that causes a whole bunch of resentment. It makes morale go down. It also makes high performers not want to perform because they know that it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if they high perform or not. Like if they're dialing it in or high performing, they're still gonna be around. And then it also creates such a mental drain because you're probably spending the bulk of your time with them, worrying about them or managing them. And it's just not effective. And so if you're looking at your team and you're like, I'm just not sure that this person is a fit for this new level or like doesn't really fit in our culture anymore. Like make sure you're honest with yourself that you didn't inadvertently set them up for failure. But if all things are equal, like you've given them every opportunity, you've trained them, like you've done your job and they're just not working out, have the courage to let them go because A, keeping them from a job where they could really excel, but B, you're keeping your business stuck, which Mm -hmm. is never a good place to be. Yeah, this is good feedback for me. (laughs) Good feedback for me. Okay, so then what are your best practices around letting somebody go? Oh, well, nobody enjoys firing. So if you enjoy firing, you know, maybe we'll have a different discussion. But (laughs) my best practices are, I believe in hiring slow and firing fast. Yes. But I say that. And then I'm like, you and I talked offline. I'm like, I say that. And there's a specific situation where I have, am not doing that. (laughs) Yeah. So, but that being said, so I have seven C's of a high performing team. There's four main ones though. And that's clarity, capability, capacity, and culture. And a lot of people fire for capacity because they think that like, they just can't get the job done. Actually, I misspoke. They fire because of capability, where they think that they just can't do the job. But in reality, most oftentimes the reason someone fails is because of capacity. And it's not that they have too much on their plate. But if we go back to what I just said about OBMs, they're doing too many unrelated things and they can't be successful at them because they're context switching between things. Yeah. So like if you're thinking about firing somebody, rate them on clarity. So like, Do they, because one of my favorite quotes is unshared expectations are nothing more than premeditated resentments. So my first question to you as the business owner is, have you been clear? Like, have you been clear on their role, their purpose, accountabilities, expectations, et cetera, the vision of the company? Where is the ship sailing? If the answer to that is yes, then great. Then looking at their capability, like, do they have the innate traits to be successful in the role. Because a lot of another mistake I see when hiring is people are hiring for technology and not actually 
is this person in their DNA going to be successful in this role? Hmm. You would never put an engineer who's super analytical, detail-oriented in a sales role. Like that would be just crazy. So knowing how they're made up is going to help you understand, like, are they actually capable of success? Capacity, are you giving them accountabilities that are all related so they can be successful and not switch between unrelated tasks? Okay. And then culture. So culture is essentially the common language that allows for individuals in the organization to make sure they're talking about the same thing and also to help aid in decision-making. And so if you've rated all of those things and they're not fitting those boxes, then that's a high likelihood that that they need to go. And so there's a couple of ways. If you've put them on notice, then obviously you can just pull the parachute. But if they haven't, depending on your state, depending how they're employed, you need to make sure you're following the right processes. But something I will say for anyone who's working with contractors, this is a very important hat tip. (laughs) One, you want to make sure they're actually classified, right? My employment attorney is like a huge sickler about that. So make sure you're actually like qualifying them properly as a W-2 or a 1099 and check with your state or go listen to that podcast episode I did with her. But you need to make sure that they are in the right category, but then also set yourself up for success in being able to have control over what they're doing and what they're creating. So like something for us, whether you're a contractor or a 1099er, which Jenny might say I'm doing wrong, but you always get a golden key partnership email because I want to make sure that anything you're creating on my behalf or working through, I have complete control over. Because if we separate, I don't want to have to figure out how to intercept client emails that were going to your personal Gmail or something like that. Yeah. Like that's a recipe for disaster. So make sure that you have access set up properly so that you maintain that control. And then the other thing is make sure you have ironclad employment contractor agreements. And then outside of that, it's just about like, how do you want to fire them? Like I recommend doing it sort of in the middle of the week so they don't have the weekend to stew about it. Make sure you can end on good terms if at all possible. And just remind yourself that you're doing it for the right reason. All right. I like that. That's a really good, like, good like matrix, if you will, to check in with for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. So one of the things that you say is friends should not let friends web MD their business. What (laughs) do you mean by that? Yes. Well, if you've ever been on the World Wide Web and web MD'd your headache and all of a sudden you were like, I have a melagioma and I'm dying of brain cancer. When in reality, you've just been staring at your computer too long, mm-hmm. you will probably understand this analogy. Because the point here is when you're so close to your business, and there's a famous saying, you can't read the label when you're in the bottle. When you're so close to your business and you have that emotional connection, it's hard for you to be objective. Mm-hmm. And so one of my clients, I remember her coming to me and she said, we have a sales problem. I need you to help me figure out what's going on with sales. And I'm not a sales and marketing expert by any stretch of the imagination, but I do focus on backend revenue. And as I said before, revenue is a lagging metric. So I kind of took what she said with a grain of salt. So she had self-diagnosed that it was a sales and marketing problem. What I actually found out was that her partner was basically 
killing her business. And I won't go into a lot of specifics, but it was very clear to me when I interviewed the team and did my diagnostic that the biggest threat to her business was actually her business partner. And so it had very little to do with sales and marketing and it had everything to do with how the business, uh, the business partner was managing the day-to-day of the business. Yeah. And so the reason I say friends don't let friends WebMD their business is because there's a very real risk that when you diagnose, I'm using air quotes, your business, and you go down that rabbit hole, you're chasing the wrong rabbit. And you'll spend a lot of time and energy trying to solve something that may not actually be the root cause. And, you know, when I was in the medical field, my mentor told me two things that were to this day I use. The first is when you hear hoofbeats, think horses, not zebras. And that's the same thing with Occam's razor. Like sometimes the most simple thing or the most obvious right. thing is what's happening. And so try not to overcomplicate it. But the second part of that, which is most important, is if you diagnose and it's not getting better, that means you haven't actually gotten to the root. And so when business owners self-diagnose, sometimes they just look at the top line symptoms Mm. and they're not looking at what's actually causing those symptoms underneath. And so then you'll just have a Band-Aid over like a gushing wound rather mm-hmm. than being able to be like, okay, we need to actually like go get stitches or, or whatnot. Okay. Yeah. I will never forget. One of my clients said, Joel, he said, it's kind of like you take my business and you stick it in an MRI machine and you're like, yep, there's the cancer. That's what we need to remove. And while that's like a little bit graphic, it's very true. When you have an unbiased third party like me come in and look at the whole body of the business to see what the root cause is, then your chances of success increase in huge magnitudes. But also it just makes things so much simpler and easier when you actually treat the root thing. It creates ripple Mm -hmm. effects versus just trying to duct tape band-aid things together. Yeah. And that's really good point. Obviously, if it's like if you keep changing things and like the results aren't really changing, right? Then you haven't found the problem. So with that though, mm-hmm. like how long when you're changing one, I imagine it's probably not good to change like a crap ton of things all at once. If you're trying to investigate and diagnose what's going on. And obviously that's why you are brought in because you're able to see those things much more clearly without having mm-hmm. to spend a lot of time and stuff. Cause that's your expertise. But if someone's like, Oh, we're going to change this, or I'm going to add this new thing or do th- whatever is Like what's kind of the timeline that you recommend somebody does something new or eliminate something to like, give it a chance to see if it's working or not. Because sometimes Mm -hmm. like, you know, for me, for example, right. Like implementing a new sales system in my business this year. And I'm like, I get sick of it in like two weeks. I'm like, it's not working. Nothing's working. I'm like, how long have we been doing this new system? Two weeks, maybe give it a little bit longer. Mm-hmm. Right. But then you don't want to give it like six months. Right. So like, what's that sweet spot of like adding something new or changing something to be like, okay, did, is this working or not? Mm-hmm. Great question. So the analogy that I love to use for this one is a plane on autopilot. So do you know actually how autopilot works? No, I didn't either until I actually went down this <laughs> rabbit hole. So I thought, you know, the pilot just gets in there. Like, I don't actually know how Tesla auto driving works. So maybe that's not a great example, but you just like sit there in the cockpit, you press, like I'm going to Paris and then he can like go take a snooze or whatever. That's not actually how it works. 
How it works is you program in your destination and every minute it makes microscopic adjustments by tiny degrees to stay on course yeah. because you yeah. can get blown off course from wind or storms or whatever. Because right. it, yeah, it's not just like going with nothing happening. It's like exactly. Yep. The whole time. It, yep. Like up, down, side to side. So you like actually end up in Paris versus South Africa. And so that is very much the analogy I use with my clients about implementing any change. So when you hire someone, you need to give them at least 30 days, unless it's like glaringly obvious and they've done something egregious, then you can do less than 30 days. 90 ideally is how much time it takes to implement, troubleshoot all the things to actually improve a process. But the caveat here is, you can't just say, okay, day one, we're going to check in and day 90, we're going to check in. Like you need to have checkpoints every week to see what's actually happening. And again, like don't use revenue necessarily as a metric when you're implementing change because it's such a lagging metric. And you don't know if like you implemented it today, but actually the revenue came in from three weeks ago. Mm -hmm. That'll skew your results. So you want to find metrics that are not revenue that are easily controlled. So like you can control how many calls you have, but you can't control how many people say yes or how fast they say yes. Yeah. So when you're looking at changing things, maximum two things at the same time, unless they're in totally different departments, and then that can, you can do multiples. But 90 days is the minimum to give something the time to be fully baked. Unless again, the caveat is like, there's something egregiously obvious, like it's been up for a month and you've gotten zero traffic, like adjust it, figure out what's going on, but don't necessarily say it's not working. Who knows? Maybe your ads didn't get turned on. I don't know. <laughs> okay. Yeah. That's what I would say. Like 30 to 90 days, like 30 yeah. days is kind of the minimum, mm -hmm. right? Like, yeah. I mean, if it's like a virtual assistant or something and it's basic tasks, or it's like a very specific thing. Mm -hmm like two weeks, right? Like depending on the scale of it and like what it is. But yeah, if you're implementing new systems, protocols, that sort of thing, like, yeah, 30 days at a minimum, I would say. Yes. And my favorite other analogy with that is a lot of times people don't have enough flow to actually test it. So it might need to go more than 90 days. And the reason I say flow is it's kind of like if you're building a house from the ground up, you don't build it, drywall it, paint it, decorate it, and then go, oh, maybe we should test the electricity and the plumbing. Like you test the electricity and the plumbing before the drywall goes up. Yeah. And so the same is true for your business whenever you're doing change management is you want to make sure that you have that minimum viable product or process and enough flow through it to see what's breaking, what's working, what's not. One of my favorite questions to ask if you're trying to diagnose something is if I doubled my business tomorrow, what would break? Such a good question. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because the next thing I want to talk about is growth versus scaling, but yeah. Cause so many people are like, Oh, I want to scale. I want to grow. I want to grow. And it's like, okay, if 10 clients came to you tomorrow, could you take them all on? Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Do you want to grow? Are you ready to grow? <laughs> like exactly. Yeah. 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 Or scale. Okay. So actually let's talk about that. The difference mm -hmm. between scaling and growing and when you should be in which season or flow? Yes. So 
Growing and scaling, I think people use interchangeably and that's not a best practice because they are very different. So growing tends to be the way that you know you're in growth state is your revenue and your expenses are pretty much like photo finishing every month because you're growing, but you're also putting in systems and team and all of that to support the long-term scaling of your business. Mm -hmm. And so scaling is how do you do more with the current resources that you have? So it's kind Mm -hmm. of like putting a different hose on the end of the spigot where your business can just expand, 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 no matter how much you turn up the spigot. Yeah. So that's what scaling is, where your profitability just starts to exponentially grow and you can do more efficiency, more impact, all the things. And you don't have to continually keep playing catch up or I'm hoping that you're proactively doing that. But that's what scaling is versus growing. Again, you're like very much focused on the next dollar and taking that dollar and turning it into two and all of that. and profitability is something that you have in mind, but it's not necessarily the primary focus. Yeah. And so you should be, when you're growing, again, to go back to flow. So this is probably going to be controversial. So I'm going to say it. You probably should not hire your first person until you are making well over five to 10K a month, like well over that. Like 5K would be the absolute So when you say hire your first person, do you mean your first like full-time person or? No, I mean like your first contractor, like you should be making well over five to 10 take home. Like, see, like I would disagree with that, but specifically with like a virtual assistant, but also because I don't want to, I mean, at this point, like it's fine, right? But I think I should have hired a VA earlier. Mm Mm-hmm that I waited so long and did way too much myself, but was maybe in that between five and 10 K place. Yeah. That I, it could have been cost effective actually to have somebody at like $10 an hour. Right. So tell me more yeah. about that. Even if it's like a VA, right. Cause I'm all for like, I would be like, no, I don't think you need to be making 10 K to have a $10 an hour VA. So mm-hmm. tell me more. Yes. So that is where you and I disagree. I would probably yeah, yeah. But I'm never like so advise curious. a business owner to hire a 10 K or $10 an hour VA in the early stages, because you don't need somebody to take tasks off your plate. You need people who can create time. And like, if you have a VA that's, you know, let's say just taking tasks off your plate, again, you're making two jobs you're having to tell them what to do and you're doing your job. So they're not actually creating time for you. And the other caveat is like five to 10 consistently, like for Mm. six months or more, because I see a lot of people when they hit five or 10 K, they're like, oh, I've arrived. Now I'm going to hire. And then they have these peaks and valleys and then they get in this crazy panic about, well, now I have all these people. How am I going to pay all these people? And so there wasn't that consistent flow to enable them to make the most out of and build their team. So the the caveat here is like, you should be making at least that for a solid six months before you even try and bring in an expert. And then I recommend bringing in a player, even a part-time player, because even a $25 an hour player, you will get more value from them than a $10 an hour worker bee. Hmm. Yeah, I think that people 
tend to entrepreneurs, especially earlier stage, tend to think, oh, I need the task stuff off my plate more, which I still like don't completely agree with that because I think there can be things that you're like, oh, I'm going to teach you how to do this once. And it's like a dumb, mindless, recurring thing that I do every day. And it like can free up a lot of space Mm -hmm. for the business owner. Like I'm all for that. But yeah, if you don't know what you're going to give the person and how helpful that's going to be, not really helpful to have a VA type role. But yeah, I think so many people in the early stages think like, oh, hiring a player type person is going to be more expensive. So, which mm-hmm. it likely is, but like, oh, I can't afford that. So I'm just going to hire the cheapest person and do that. So I, I can see it both ways. And absolutely, when you're in that earlier stage, you want to focus on bringing more money in and freeing up time. So I can see how like a VA type does help free up time, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, you have to look at your ROTI as much as your ROI. So while it might seem at the surface, a player is more expensive let's say you pay your player $1,200 a month, but that $1,200 nets you $12,000. Like you can't afford to not have that. And also, you know, you have to also remember that it's not you paying, it's the business paying. Right. Right. So that's why like having a very healthy flow in your business is really important because like the difference between a business that will survive and a business that won't is cash flow. Mm-hmm. And so if your cash flow is tied up in a lot of different expenses and tools and systems that you may not even need right now and people that are sort of helping but not really making like a huge momentum shift, then you're going to be stuck in this like expenses going up where your revenue is maybe not going up as fast as your expenses are. Right. Yeah. Okay. Hold on. What's ROTI? Return on time invested. Okay. I was like, (laughs) oh gosh. I'm like, I don't know what that one is. I'm sure Mm -hmm. plenty of people listening didn't know what that meant either. (laughs) That's okay. Yes. I was like, "Uh uh-oh. Yeah. I mean, that's a big mindset shift for business owners is going from asking yourself, how much is this going to cost me? Versus how much is this going to make me? Like that's a huge shift in in understanding the value of operations and team. And also I'll give you a little secret. A lot of stuff in your business, you can probably automate very simply and you don't necessarily need those people as fast as you think you do. Mm. Yeah, and especially now like with AI stuff, like there's so much you can automate, Mm -hmm. right? Yep. So much. Well, I loved hearing that, like when you started taking your like off day and your unplug day, that business doubled. So I want to hear mm-hmm. more about that, but also because knowing you and like Lauren and I are very similar in this, aside from just having the same name, but in <laughs> being like doers, right. And mm-hmm. women who used to be very stuck in the doing and workaholicking and all of that perfectionist stuff. So we very much share that and understand that deeply. And so I know when I started taking like a half day off, like early in Mm -hmm. my business, it was so powerful for me, but I also was so resistant to it and thought that I couldn't afford, right. To do that. Mm -hmm. So I'd love to like, was that tough for you to start doing? And like, what were those shifts that you really saw? Absolutely. How do you think that, that like doubled your business and helped things? So. 
It was definitely difficult because I don't know if this resonates with anyone listening, but when I was first starting my business, I was in like major hustle mode. I was saying yes to everything because I had a very scarcity mentality where to your point, if I wasn't actively saying yes, then I was going to miss out. And you know, how would we pay our bills and all the things. Mm -hmm. And so it took a lot for me to trust that by taking this day, it would pay dividends back. But this had happened, I think it was 2018, I think is when this actually became part of my weekly self-care. And in, in 2018, we were growing like gangbusters. I mean, huge months. And I had never been more miserable. Like I was burned out. I came this close to burning the whole thing to the ground. I mean, I spent most of my nights crying because I felt like I was this close to like letting everything fall apart. And it wasn't like I didn't have a team, but I'd said too much and we grew too fast. And, you know, I cobbler shoe situation where I wasn't following my own advice. And I just was like, I can't do this. Like Mm -hmm. I'm so burned out like something's got to give. And so that was the week that I was like, you know what? I'm just going to turn everything off. I'm going to take a Saturday and I'm just going to unplug. And I would just remember having this like huge exhale. And then miraculously on Sunday, I didn't want to burn down my business anymore. And I didn't resent my clients and like everything looked like rosy colored glasses. And I was shocked, right? Because I thought that there was no light at the end of the tunnel, but just having my little introvert battery recharge changed everything. And so then I started doing that. And then I actually, that ended up creating more efficiency, more clarity, more space where I could see where things were getting bogged down or where I could improve different processes or ways that I worked with clients to make it more efficient, or maybe I needed to change my pricing and packaging. And so it just gave me the space to actually look at my business and actually probably a few months after that moment, I learned about a really great process called sprints. Mm. So a sprint is where you do all your related tasks at the same time. So anything that's like content creation, for example, you do at the same time. But I actually took it a step further and I did daily themes. Mm. And so like Monday, for example, and to this day is my meeting day. So like most of my meetings that are administrative in my business or like in my client's business, they happen on Mondays. And then Tuesday, Thursday are the days that I do all my extroverty things like consultations, networking events, things like that, where I know I have to be in a totally different energy. Wednesday, my favorite day of the week is my admin day where I personally work on my business. So not in the trenches, but like on it to get new clients, to do my own podcast, to do any sort of income, profitability, revenue exercises to move my business forward. Cause something else that I realized, especially as a service provider is that sometimes I would get so sucked into my clients' businesses that I would forget to grow my own, which is spoiler alert, not great. It's not great, but it's so easy. I think when we are in a service based, like help other people with their business kind of business, because there's plenty of like with my PR agency where I'm like, I'm not doing PR for myself, right? Like plenty of that Mm -hmm. kind of stuff has happened in the past too. So I was like, okay, no more. 
Like I'm going to prioritize my own business on Wednesdays. It's a sacrosanct yeah. day. Nobody can get on my calendar. I don't answer the phone. Like I don't do anything that's not on my big three. And then Friday is a flex day. Sometimes I do diagnostics on Fridays. Sometimes it's like I do a lot of our financial stuff on Friday. Sometimes it's a fun day. But by having those themes and the expectations around what I'm going to be doing has helped me be much more efficient and also manage expectations around my clients, which I will say is probably another mistake that I see early business owners make Mm -hmm. is not having proper boundaries and communicating expectations with clients. So just because you can be available after hours doesn't mean you should be. So like all of my contracts say I work Monday through Friday, 11 central to six, because I personally, I'm a night owl. Some of my most creative time is from like six to nine. And Mm -hmm. so I might be working on client stuff and responding in Slack, but that doesn't mean that you get just have me on call all the time. Right, right. And it also means that I don't take meetings generally before 11 because like I'm still like working on my own morning routine, all the stuff. Yes. But by having those boundaries and saying like, hey, these are my hours or like in my email signature, it says, please allow up to one day for reply. Because there is very rarely ever something that is so urgent that I need to get back to a client like in this moment. And I think that early business owners get like train their clients badly mm-hmm. because they're so responsive. And now I'm not saying you should like ignore your clients if you see it. Right. Like, no, but I don't play I, games. <laughs> yeah. Just like have that boundary. And like I said, it says in there, like, I might respond after hours, but that doesn't mean I'm available after hours. Yes. I like that. Okay. Cause we're coming on time. I'm like, oh my gosh, we're almost done. Yeah. Ooh, actually I have two questions. Okay. Tell me how does the neuroscience stuff come into play with your work? Yeah. I think that's so cool. Yes. So the neuroscience comes in, in a couple of ways. I'm also a board certified NLP practitioner. So what that means is when I'm looking at your team and how you're leading them and how you're leading yourself, like a lot of times I will ask questions you've probably never asked yourself. Like, what Mm -hmm. is your vision for your life? Like, where do you think you excel as a leader versus where what's holding you back? Or what story did you make up about what the title of CEO means? Mm. And that way I'm understanding like how they're viewing things, what their filter is. But then I also really look at at things like, how do they best learn? Like, are they a detailed person? Are they a big picture person? Are they kinesthetic? Are they visual? Are they audio? Are they audio visual? Mm-hmm. To understand and meet them where they are. So a lot of what I do, it's not cookie cutter. Like we have certain processes and frameworks mm-hmm. that are very set. But a lot of my work is meeting the leader where they are. And sometimes they will need, like I joked that I had to exercise a people pleaser out of one of my clients at nine o'clock one night because they were trying to have a tough conversation with an employee the next day. And they were just like, can you do it? I don't want to do it. And so we had to like have a conversation of why don't you want to do it? Like, what is the fear here? What is the story that you've made up? Also, why did you not listen to me and got yourself in this pickle? Because if you had listened to me, then we wouldn't be in this pickle. But that's a different story. Yeah. So like basically just understanding how they're motivated, how they process information, 
what their filters are in the world. And then ultimately what motivates them, you know, are they carrot? Are they stick? Like, why are they doing what they're doing? Mm -hmm. All right. I like that. Okay. And last one, we're going to get a little woo. Ooh. Well, I know that you have a very strong intuition Mm -hmm. and you were saying like the, you know, special skill being clear cognizant. How do you see that show up in your work? Well, two questions. When did you really start like seeing that stuff come to life? And how do you see that in your work with your clients? Great question. So I saw this come to life probably about six years ago when I discovered Wealth Dynamics. Because to be very honest, I felt like an imposter a, a lot because the benefit to being clear cognizant is that you just know the disadvantage to everyone else is I can't explain why I know something. Like I just know. And like not very often do I have something super tangible that I can give them to make them see what I'm seeing. And so I always felt like maybe I was wrong or like I shouldn't like lean into this because I couldn't back it up. But then inevitably, whatever I thought came to be. And so then I was like, "Hmm, interesting. Okay. And so when I found Wealth Dynamics and they told me I was a mechanic and like basically I felt so seen. And then I had a human design reading where I'm a one three and she's like, you are the ultimate problem solver. And you just know, Mm -hmm. like the way that she explained it is, I have this uncanny ability to absolutely know what the problem is. And then I like put up this force field where I'm like, you have to see this problem. Like you can't go past me. You have to see this problem. And my early years in my business that created a lot of conflict because they maybe weren't ready to see those, that like truth. Right. Mm. Then I had to learn how to let it be invited in and ask for permission So one of my favorite questions to ask is, do you want me to listen or do you want me to support? Yes. And And that's such a good, like, pause. That's such a good question for like all human relationships. All human beings. Yes. (laughs) Yes. And so like, I see it playing out a lot in my conversations because I have this really amazing brain. And my mentor, when I left the medical field and told me I should be a consultant, basically said the way that your brain processes information and diagnoses things is your greatest skill. So I can take a tremendous amount of information in and distill it down into, you know, the few pieces that it needs to be. And because I have that skill, I'm able to to like basically break through all the noise that bogs down my business owner clients, which is great. And I just really had the opportunity to trust it more and also know that I'm not infallible. Like I'm not Nostradamus. (laughs) I think even he was wrong sometimes, but (laughs) sometimes I'm not quite right. And, you know, I'm human. And so being, having enough grace and flexibility to learn from maybe not being a hundred percent right has really served me. And I think the hardest thing that I've had to learn as a business owner is even if I know I can't force my clients to do it so I can Mm. tell them, but ultimately they have their own free will. And I can tell you so often they come back and they're like, well, should have listened to you. You know, I knew this was going to happen. I saw it coming from a mile away. I told them, but they didn't do whatever. And so that's been probably the hardest thing with my gift is to allow them to learn the lesson that they're obviously supposed to learn by not listening mm-hmm. to me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cause even with like psychic gifts and stuff, like, 
it's not like you learn, right. When you have that, like, you can't just like throw it at, like drop it on no. somebody. You like, no, like you can, but it's not, you're not supposed to, right. You got to handle that responsibly. So I love mm-hmm. that. Yeah. Learning that like, okay, if I have this knowing and I have this gift and stuff, like how do I use it in a way that's going to land and like be effective instead of just like weird people out or make them like, wait, why do you think that? You're like, I just know. You're like, I just it seems know. like that's not what you're yeah. supposed to say as my COO, <laughs> right? Like, Yeah, I do a lot of like, this is going to sound funny, but sometimes I feel like I'm part strategist, part COO, part therapist, and then part preschool teacher where I'm just like working sometimes with a bunch of toddlers who like are wonderful people, but sometimes say the darndest things. And I'm like, okay, well, here are your options. Would you like this sandwich or this sandwich? Like, ultimately I want you to eat a sandwich, but which one do you want? And so there's a little bit of, I don't want to perpetuate business malfeasance by letting you go down this road that very clearly you should not be going down. And also having the consciousness to say like, okay, this is a calculated Mm -hmm. risk, which I feel comfortable going on record and saying I'm against this hire, but you're Mm -hmm. so dead set against it that you hire them. And then like, however that goes. So there is that discernment of where is this creating business malfeasance because I'm not speaking up and putting my foot down versus just letting them go their own way and go on their own adventure until they come back and yeah. we choose a sandwich. I like it. Okay. To wrap us up here, cause we're at yes. our time. First thing is where can mm-hmm. everybody find you? What sort of good, like if someone's like, oh my gosh, I need this kind of help. Like, yes. Where can they find you? How can people work with you? If you've got like, I know you have some really great, like free guides and things like that. Like take yes. it away. So the first place I would invite you to, since I'm currently in your ears, is to go follow my podcast, The Biz Doctor, available on all the platforms. Go find it, listen, subscribe, review, all the things. The second is my very favorite resource is available for free on my website. It's called The Golden Key Scorecard. It's essentially designed, well, I created it because one, I was tired of chasing crap all around my Google Drive and also chasing my client stuff and they had the same problem. So I created this resource to help you get the most out of your current team, as well as make your next hire your best hire by helping you proactively get the clarity. Remember the four C's, the clarity around the role. And it's also got all of the monthly reviews and OKRs all in one place. So it's truly your mission control for your employee and their role. Mm -hmm. So you can get that at goldenkeypartnership.com forward slash scorecard. And then of course, connect with me on all the socials, LinkedIn, Instagram. I'm at it's Lauren Goldstein. And yeah, that's basically it. And if you want to schedule a consultation, you can also do that at goldenkeypartnership.com. I love it. Okay. Last question before we get off is, so this show is all about helping people amplify Mm -hmm. themselves, their lives, their bank account, like all the things, right? Living like a really aligned, abundant, fully expressed life. So what is like one like mic drop thing, one like parting word of wisdom nugget you want to leave everyone to really like amplify their life, whether that's through business, personal, you Mm -hmm. know. Good question. So I think the best nugget I have as a recovering perfectionist is it's never going to be perfect. 
you can get ready to get ready to get ready. But at some point, just like turning on the lights or turning on the water to the house that you're building, you have to get it out there to get feedback and flow to test it out. And I say that as somebody who's done numerous silent launches in the past, like it's not that you're failing or nobody's listening. It's probably that you're not actually giving your ideas and your greatness, the time and the light to actually blossom. Mm. Beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. All right, everyone. Be sure to go check out Lauren. And thank you so much for joining. That was like, I, I mean, I learned a lot myself. I'm like, oh gosh, <laughs> all these questions. So I'm sure everybody yeah. got a lot out of that. So y'all go check out Lauren, listen to her podcast, get on a consult call with her. If you're like, oh, I got to get out of the weeds of my business. I want to get more of my time back. Just get this shit organized. Like she is such a genius at all of this. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. The biz doctor is in. <laughs> so thank you for having me. It was such a pleasure. Thank you so much for listening. If you love this episode and if you know of somebody else who is bold, successful, and unapologetically owning their unique magic while they make a big impact in the world, please send them my way. And it would also mean the world to me if you help me get this message out to as many listeners as possible. So if you liked what you heard, I'd be so grateful if you would please take 30 seconds to leave a five-star rating, write a quick review, and share this episode with your friends. Be sure to tag me so that I can say thank you. And until the next episode, keep showing up, keep using your voice and keep being you because the world needs more of your magic. Yeah.